0: a special thank you but all right so um, some of you are going to make fun of me for this others of you are going to be like cheering me but i love my subaru i love my subaru <laughs> deal with it justin I, I, I borrowed Justin's truck this week, and, and just don't do anything with me during the week because I'll call you out on Sunday, okay? So, so I, I, I drove his truck home from something and I did not touch anything. I mean, it's, it's a Ford Raptor. Like, I'm not touching anything, right? Like, I'm, I'm very, very carefully driving it. whatever. I actually went squealing out of the parking lot and then I realized there was a cop right behind me. Um, I was really, yes, my name is Justin Taylor. There you go, here's the ticket. Um, but he texted me, he goes, what did you do to my truck? And I said, what? I just spun the tires a little bit. You told me I should, you know. He goes, no, my horn sounds like a Subaru. <laughs> it's like, you're welcome. You're welcome for fixing it. So he said it, and then he proceeded to describe it. that was like a clown car. I was like, hey. Come on now. Come on now. So, but no, I actually, we, we bought our first Subaru a couple years ago, and, and the first one was amazing because there's all sorts of safety features on it, right? Like I, I it was just so much, it was very cool. Um, one is the auto braking feature. I didn't realize that, but Nicole and Tatum were actually crossing Mountain View corridor up on Harvest Boulevard, and, and they had a green light, and someone just ran a red light, and Tatum was like, Mom, that was amazing that you slammed on the brake so quick. She goes, I didn't touch anything. And they said it was like beep, 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 and then it locked up. And it kept them from getting T-boned on the side. And instead, they got hit on the front corner. And, and it was just amazing. Like, it could have been so much worse. But, but Subaru had safety features, stuff like that. Another one is really, really handy, especially for living 1,000 miles away from family, is this thing called uh, adaptive cruise control. Anybody have adaptive cruise control? Basically, you set it. and. And then you take your foot off the gas and the and the brake and and it just it just regulates itself. So I literally it's about 25 minutes to I80 and then it's like 11 and a half hours on I80. And, and when we're going, the only time I touch the gas or the brake is when we're pulling over to use the bathroom or get some food. Right. It is so nice because it automatically, you know, just has you right in line and everything like that. And I, it's, it helps me because I road rage a little bit. I'm very open about that. And so it's nice because I'm like, I'm just going to let Subaru take care of this for me. Right. Um, but there is one safety feature that they have not dialed in yet, and it's called the auto steer. It is a joke basically the whole principle it has the the steering wheel logo and then this thing like that and you're supposed to hit that and what it does is it reads the lines next to you and if you get too close it's supposed to like kind of gently bring you back over right And what happens is that if you have that on, you're trying to drive the car and it's constantly like like that and like that, and it literally will ping pong you back and forth. I've actually, i have actually like, I'm going to test this thing. I'm going to see how accurate it is. And it was like, bam, bam, bam. It was all over the place. I'd be ping ponging against cars if I let this thing do what it says it could do, right? And the whole point is this, is that while the safety stuff is really nice, there are still some features that remind me the car isn't driving me. I need to drive the car still, right? And so, so that's, that's, there's times where I have to assert my authority and disrupt what the car thinks that it's doing. How often in life do we go on to autopilot? How often do we just think, I'm going to set it, forget it, it's going to take care of itself? And we just kind of coast through life. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, it's kind of like, wait a minute, how did I get here? Why am I here? What is going on right now? We have to remember that, that, that we can't just fall asleep, close our eyes, and let the world take care of our lives for us. We have to um, sometimes disrupt. We have to disrupt the autopilot of our life. We've been going through the the Gospel of Matthew and this morning we're going to be looking at chapter 8. Really quickly a, a recap is in Matthew chapter 1 and 2. It looked It looked at how Jesus is this king. He is a coming king. The nation of Israel had been waiting for the coming king, the Messiah, the Savior, to save them, to gather them together, and to to reinstate them as God's chosen people in the world. And so Jesus comes onto the scene, and and through a lot of different things, we see it is clear that Jesus is the promised king. Then Jesus goes through some testing, some trials, some some things like that. And then um, we looked in in uh, chapters 5 through 7, um, where he actually has this long sermon that talks about what life in his kingdom. He's a king. Kings have kingdoms. And so what is life in this kingdom? Uh, this king's kingdom going to be like? And we just finished up a three-week uh, look at the Sermon on the Mount. We ended last week at Matthew chapter 7, uh, verses 28 and 29, where, where we see these large crowds following Jesus. They are amazed at the authority of, uh, of Jesus' words, right? This morning, we're going to see that people are equally, if not more, amazed by the authority of his deeds. So Matthew chapter 8, we're going to dig into it this morning. You can follow along in your Bible, on your phone, up on there, wherever. Uh, but we're going to be looking through the entire chapter 8 this morning. Okay, let's dive in here. Verses 1 through 4. Large crowds followed Jesus as he came down the mountainside. Suddenly, a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly, the leprosy disappeared. Then Jesus said to him, don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. Okay, there's a lot going on here. Really quickly, first of all, leprosy was a scary disease. Today, it's kind of like, oh, what's this rash, doctor, right? But back then, it was kind of like any type of skin blemish, you were just scared that it was going to be leprosy. Leprosy, nobody really knew what it came from, and nobody knew how to cure it. And so it would, like, eat away at your flesh, and, and it, was, it was not only, like, physically disgusting and painful, it was spiritually unclean. And so to have leprosy, you actually were an outcast. You were, you were religiously unclean, and so what happened is that you were cast out into a, to, to live the rest of your miserable, painful, excruciating life in a leper colony. And so it was like literally a city of the dead. They were considered walking dead because that was pretty much a death sentence. Very, very rarely was anybody ever recover from leprosy. And so what's crazy here is that the radical disruption that this leper did, he broke the law. Someone with leprosy literally, as they would see people unclean, unclean, they would have to yell out their uncleanliness status. So that other people could walk away and not be um, uh, like, like just you know uh, get their uncleanliness put on to them, right? And so instead of saying unclean, unclean, he comes towards Jesus. Let's not let the significance of this slip by us. He broke the cultural norms, he broke the religious laws, he went to Jesus, he trusted Jesus what did he do? He fell on his knees in front of Jesus. That is respect. And then what does he call him? Lord. That means he surrenders his life. He had no other choice but to fall on his knees and say, Lord, save me. Now, that's pretty miraculous. But what's even more miraculous is how does Jesus handle that? Ew, gross. Get away from me, right? You are going to make me unclean and, and then I'm going to have to do all this. Like, just get away from me, right? No. He goes towards him. And he touches him. And he heals him. That is significant. Last, a couple, last few weeks we've been talking about in, in the book Gentle and Lowly. How, how God's orientation towards us is that of towards us. Instead of being afraid of the clean becoming unclean, he is clean that cleanses the unclean Does that make sense guys that is significant because when we are low when we are uh, depressed when we are feel unworthy when we're struggling and we say well God can't love me that's what he does because that's who he is and so no matter what we're facing he will meet us in the middle of that right and so we need to trust him, we need to respect him, we need to surrender to him. We need to allow him to touch us even when we feel untouch- untouchable. Now here's the cool thing is that Jesus is God incarnate, right? Like he is the creator of all things. He spoke the, w- the world into existence through his word. He didn't need to touch him. What's the significance here? He still does. He wanted to prove the point that I know you, I touch you, I, I, ex- I, I recognize you who you are and I meet you in that. Now, what's interesting is the end of this, he says, don't tell anybody, right? Just go home. Don't tell anybody. There's a lot of debate over why he says that, but what I, what really resonates with me is that the, the Jewish people were expecting a military conqueror. Dun, 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 blowing the horns, right? Tooting their own horns. Look at me. I'm going to be your savior. I'm going to be this and that. And he goes, don't, don't reveal yet what I'm doing because people are going to be very confused. They're going to think, Yes, the king is here, and he's going to kick those, these Romans out, and he's gonna, we're going to make everything better for us, right? And so he didn't want to cause confusion in that. He's like, just, just enjoy the healing. Enjoy the healing in the moment, right? Okay, keeping on going, verse 5 through 13. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer or centurion came and pleaded with him, Lord, my young servant, the word servant here could either be servant or it could also, it's used as son, Uh, Sometimes, you know, what's the difference, right? Um, um, There you go. Uh, My my young servant or son lies in bed paralyzed and in terrible pain. Jesus said, I will come and heal him. But the officer said, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come into my home. He's a Roman officer. He's a Gentile. To have a Gentile in, in, to, to, to go into a Gentile's home would have made him unclean, Unworthy. That was out of bounds that was against the law right so he's actually even though he's boldly approaching Jesus he's still respectful and saying hey I don't want to cause any problem for you but can you please do this for me right he says just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed I know this become because I am under the authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers I only need to say go and they go or come and they come and if, you say to my, and if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to those who were following him, he's talking to the religious leaders. He's talking to the religious insiders, the people that had all their stuff together, right? He goes, I tell you the truth. I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. And I tell you this, that many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from east and west, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. But many Israelites, those for whom the kingdom was prepared, will be thrown into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the Roman officer, Go back home because you believed it has happened. And the young servant was healed that same hour. This is almost unbelievable. Now, a Roman officer, a centurion, was was the leader over a hundred Soldiers, right? So he was kind of a big deal. There was, there was leaders above him and he kind of says, yeah, I, people have authority over me, but I have authority over 100, 100 soldiers. If I say jump, they say how high, right? If I say run, they say how fast. He was a hated, occupying soldier. People did not want him to come and talk to their king, their savior, their messiah, right? But yet he didn't let people's opinion keep him from the one he know he needed. What keeps us from Jesus? Is it it maybe? He could have said, well, I, you know, you need to do this. I'm a soldier over you. You need to do this, right? His pride could have kept him from Jesus or a sense of insecurity. Uh, I'm not worthy. I'm not whatever. He did not let anything keep him from Jesus. The officer allowed Jesus to disrupt his authority. Now, again, there's a nugget here he says he gets his authority from the roman emperor himself now what's really cool is that what's not cool but um it's cool what he does with it the roman emperor was considered to be divine he was god so it's not like hey let's go you know here's our president right here's the emperor they viewed that the roman emperor was actually divine he was a god that needed not just to be followed and served but needed to be worshipped as god um and so by saying Lord to Jesus, he turns his back on his nationalistic pride, his identity as a Roman soldier and, and officer, right? And he, and he puts his faith in this Lord King Jesus instead. That's radical. He turns his back on everything that he knew, and he says, I want you to exercise your authority, disrupt my life with what only you can do. And Jesus recognizes this and he states, hey, this is what real faith looks like. It's not just mentally agreeing with a couple doctrines and, oh, I like the idea and I like the way I can cram Jesus into my ideal, uh, you know, Jesus. I like my buddy Jesus instead. He says, no, you have all the authority and you can do what you want to do. And he challenges, he challenges the listener to say, that's the faith that you need to have. It's not just, I I go through all the checklists, I do this, I do that, I don't do this, and I don't do that. So I'm good, right? It's no. Are we surrendering our lives to the person of Jesus? And then he has this graphic example of, hey, we're going to have a picnic, and this picnic is going to be crashed by the outsiders. I will never forget, I was in high school. We were on travel camp. It was a group of high school kids. It was a Christian camp. We were going through all sorts of different campgrounds and seeing national parks and stuff like that. And we would go to a campground, we would set up, all of our tents, and we'd make our meal, and then we'd have like worship, and then Bible study, and things like this. Well, one evening, there was this guy from another campsite just a little bit over, and he's kind of following us around. And it's kind of funny, during when we're kind of eating, he kind of comes and grabs a little bit of food from there and stuff like that. We're like, okay, that's kind of weird. We don't know this guy. and uh, um, But he was there the whole time. When we have this time of worship, he's kind of on the back. He's kind of like... singing you know and and uh and then during the bible study he just sits down on the at the park bench and and just kind of listens and stuff and i'm pretty sure he was european um i'm kind of ashamed to say this with my parents here but i figured out he was european because he was wearing a bright red speedo and nothing else (laughs) i mean guys that's weird come on this is not normal behavior and i know in the 90s like only europeans were speedos right like like them and like hardcore swimmers. But, but he's seriously, like he's just hanging around the periphery of our picnic and he crashes it. And I remember like, this is for us. This isn't for you, weird speedo guy. Like, come on. What are you doing? And Jesus kind of taps into that same kind of like, what are you doing? This is our picnic. He goes, no, you're missing out on the picnic because you, you wanted to go and do your own thing you miss the actual picnic and other people who are curious and and you surrender their lives they get to come to the picnic red speedo and all right (laughs) like it doesn't matter you need to come to jesus not serve what you think it is the uh the life application study bible says this entrenched entrenched in their own religious traditions they could not accept christ and his new message We must be careful not to become so set in our religious habits that we expect God to work only in specified ways. Don't limit God by your mindset or lack of faith. Don't miss the eternal picnic, right? Don't be, oh, I don't like that stuff. Like, no, do what God wants us to do. Family, connections, church attendance, heritage, all these different things, they don't save us. Only Jesus does. Verses 14 and 15 says this, when jesus arrived at peter's house peter's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever but when jesus touched her hand the fever left her they got up she she got up and prepared a meal for him (laughs) this is come on guys this is funny right like like she's sick in bed with a fever okay first of all you never touch someone in this culture who had a fever because they were unclean and Jesus is a man. She's a woman. Men didn't touch women who weren't their wives. Jesus breaks the barriers and touches this sick woman, heals her. What does she do? Hey, what do you want to eat? Sounds like some, some people that I know, right? Like, like she just gets up and, and the first response is, thank you. How can I serve you? She literally gives herself. He, he disrupts her, her existence in this and she just, hey, what, what do you want to eat today, right? Right. Then verses 16 and 17, that evening many demon-possessed people, you know, just a normal Tuesday night, just a bunch of demon-possessed people, come on over, um, were brought to Jesus. He cast out the evil spirits with a simple command. That's what that New Living Translation says, NIV and the actual Greek word here says, with a single word. I wish I knew what that word was, but I like that he doesn't include it because the point isn't that word, it's his word, his power. The fact that one word has all the spiritual authority over these demons and we're going to look at this more a little bit later and he healed all the sick this fulfilled the word of the lord through the prophet isaiah who said he took our sicknesses and removed our diseases first by touch now his word that word word literally means logos which that should sound familiar, because John 1:1, 1, 1, in, be- in the beginning was the logos, and the logos was God, was with God, and the logos was God. Jesus is the Word. He is the Word of God. And he had authority through his touch. And now he has authority through the word. It's a physical healing, and now it's a spiritual healing. Verse 18. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, He instructed his disciples to cross to the other side of the lake. Boring verse, right? What's of significance there? Well, the side that he was on was the Jewish side. It was the clean side. It was the pure side. It was the religious side. It was where all the good people were at. The other side, instead of the other side of the tracks, it was the other side of the lake. It was the Gentile side. It was the unclean side. It was the outcast side. Jesus hops in the boat and says, guys, we're going over there. He's going over there. Jesus disrupts conventional thinking, conventional wisdom. He has a lot of momentum, right? He sees a crowd coming, and he should have said, okay, now things are picking up. Now we have critical mass. Now good things are going to happen. Instead, he goes, yeah, let's get out of here. It's very counterintuitive he he sees what's really going on and instead of serving popular opinion he stays true to his identity to his mission and he stays true to what he was there to do now what does he do over there right verses 19 through 22 then one of the before he leaves right someone's kind of like running to catch the boat He says, then one of the teachers of religious uh, law saw him. Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replies, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests. But the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. And another of the disciples said, Lord, first let me return home to bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me now. Let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Now, what's going on here, right? remember that in that day and time jesus calling his disciples was kind of a radical thing jesus did a lot of radical stuff typically disciples went to the rabbi and said "Mm, i want to follow you right they were in charge they picked the rabbi that they wanted to follow and so we see that now happening he says i want to follow you um and then this other guy says hey i'm going to follow you but i want to go do this first right what's going on here i like how one commentary says um it's kind of like they're saying hey it's your lucky day jesus i'm kind of a big deal people know me right and and i'm gonna follow you i'm going to lend my authority to your cause and make it good right wow how bold how prideful how short-sighted how narrow-minded of who they're talking to right they wanted to build in conditions to following jesus instead of letting jesus be the authoritative king and saying i am here i am yours do with do with me what you will he wants to go back and say i kind of got a big family business going on now you have to kind of read into the cultural setting what's going on it's not just hey i want to go bury my dad it it literally uh, was probably more likely to say hey um, we have the family business when when my dad dies, I want to be able to kind of settle things up because we can do great things with that and everything like that. and he goes, "No, follow me now. Let the spiritually dead bury their own he 's saying, "Hey, I want you to be a part of what i 'm doing and, and most likely this was was probably you know a, a deeply religious family stuck in the law, stuck in the you know, the religious system of their day that Jesus is trying to like like overcome." And he says, hey, don't worry about that old system system anymore. Instead, be a part of what I'm doing on my terms instead of coming to me with yours. Jesus um, says that following him comes at a great cost. Um, Jesus himself didn't even have a home. He went from place to place and and just stayed wherever, wherever was open. I like, again, where the Life Application Bible says this. It says, well, the cost of following Jesus is high. The value of being Christ's disciple is even higher. The cost is high, but the value is higher. There is nothing more important than Jesus. Again, I I quote this movie uh, a fair amount, but um, I love in the movie Jesus Revolution um where where this 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 couple that's dating each other first he comes to her and then she flips it around to him and says basically if you try to get in my in the way of my relationship with jesus i'll put you in your place right because it's jesus and then everything else that's hard because a lot of times we're told especially in this culture that family is everything families i love my family and i can't wait to see my family in heaven but the thing is is that only jesus is going to be jesus in heaven Jesus is the king of heaven, and we all get to be there with him, right? And we're going to be freed, and there's going to be no crying. There's going to be nothing like that. We are going to be in perfect relationship because Jesus is the king. And so on earth, it's so easy to try to, to put our spouse, our kids, our friends, our job, our whatever it might be, we can fill in our own blanks, those things at equal level with Jesus, if not higher. Jesus can easily become the means to an end. And he says, no, 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 no. It'll cost you everything, but the value is more valuable than anything. What conditions do we put to following Jesus? And are we willing to allow Jesus to disrupt these things? Continuing in verse 23. Then Jesus got onto the boat and started across the lake with his disciples. Suddenly a fierce storm struck the lake, and the waves breaking and with waves breaking into the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went to we went. And woke him, uh, woke him up, shouting, "Lord, save us! We're going to drown!" Jesus responded, "Why are you so afraid? You have so little faith." Then he got up, and rebuked the wind and the waves, and suddenly there was a great calm. The disciples were amazed. "Who is this man?" they asked. "Even the winds and waves obey him." Now, what's what's kind of cool is that we have the Utah Lake right here. The Sea of Galilee was just a little bit smaller than the Utah Lake, right? And we know. Massive storms come on here. Like just someone the other day was out kayaking the mom and daughter and and the the, the storm hit and they had to get they, they had to be rescued by some jet skis. Like it could have been deadly. And and we know a couple years ago a couple girls got caught in a storm and they they died, you know. And so just think of that fear, right? What happened was that was that instead of being like an average of like seven or eight feet deep, the Sea of Galilee is 150 feet deep. They're 680 feet below sea level. And what would happen is that they would have these massive winds come down off the hills, the mountains around it, and it would cause these massive storms. And even though it's a small body of water, these waves could get up to 10 to 15 feet high. Now you think, okay, this boat is, has to be big enough to have like 10, 15 people in it, right? Because Jesus and the disciples are in here. But still, you think about like a boat the size of like 10, 15 people in there against 10 or 15 feet waves, I'd be scared too. Now, what's interesting is they've just seen miracle after miracle. They've seen demon-possessed people get freed. They've seen people with fever and uh, paralysis and all these things, right? They've seen these miracles, but, other, but now they're the ones in the storm. And Jesus kind of just, <laughs> there's got to be some kind of like, oh my gosh, guys, you don't have faith. Do you? you haven't seen what I've been doing, right? Jesus disrupts their fear and replaces it with faith. So often in life, when we are stuck in the middle of whatever is is we're stuck with, we, we can be overcome by the storms with this spirit of fear, and he wants to replace it with faith. And then the rest of the chapter here verse 28 when jesus arrived on the other side of the lake in the region of of the guardians remember this is gentile country right Um, two men who were possessed by demons met him they came out of the tombs and were so violent that no one could go through that area there's three things they're unclean they're gentiles they are demon possessed and they're living in a graveyard now in the jewish religion if you would touch a dead body you were religiously unclean so if you buried someone you had to go through a cleansing process and so these two guys are are triply like the like the triple whammy right like they are outcast 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 they come to jesus um, and begin screaming at him why are you interfering with us son of god have you come to torture us before god's appointed time There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding in the distance. So the demons begged, if you cast us out, send us into that herd of pigs. Verse 32, all right, go. Jesus commanded them. So the demons came out of the men and entered the pigs, and the whole herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. The herdsmen fled uh, to the nearby town, telling everyone what happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the entire town came out to, to meet Jesus, but they begged him to go away and leave them alone. There's a lot going on here, but again, here are these unclean people. in, in uh, Matthew says two, Mark and Luke say that there's one demon-possessed man, and a lot of people are saying, well, they're probably just talking about the one that it was, was, was actually talking to Jesus, right? Um, when these unclean guys come out, I'd be scared, right? You, you, have, you have an outcast, you have a demon-possessed person who's been living in a graveyard. That's not normal behavior, right? And they come charge, and they're, they're known for being violent. In the other gospels, it talks about how chains couldn't even hold them. There was this supernatural strength, and, and so they come at me, I'm going to run. But Jesus stands his ground and goes out to meet them, because he knows who he is. no, know, He knows the power that he has. They have been stuck for who knows how long in this spiritual deadness and agony. And what's so crazy is that um, it just says demons here, but in Mark, it actually says, He says, What's your name? And he goes, We are Legion. We are Legion. You know how many soldiers were in a Roman Legion? 6,000 soldiers. Between these two guys, 6,000 evil spirits. This is not okay. And when they're cast out, Mark chapter 5 actually uh, talks about how that herd of pigs, 2,000 pigs. This was not just a, hey, you know, you know, um, uh, Charlotte's Web, what was the pig? And they're like, oh, no, we lost Charlotte's Web's friends. What's that? Wilbur? Wilbur? Yeah, Wilbur. Oh, poor Wilbur, right? No, there was like 2,000 Wilbur's, right? That's the entire village's flock of pigs. Flock? Is that what they're called? I don't know. But a bunch of pigs. A cluster. What's that? flying pigs there you go flying pigs when pigs fly right there you go but this is a big deal and and it's a big deal because one you think of how tormented by six thousand potentially six thousand demons and these two guys the torment that they've been living under and then to have that freedom but then oh but you destroyed our town's economy right and the village comes out and says get out of here you ruined our economy People over possessions, right? He challenges that. He says, you know, you, you kind of read it between the lines, it's like you're more you're more concerned about these pigs than about these two human beings, right? But how easy it is to to forget that it's people over possession, and Jesus disrupts that, right? But there's something else here too, is that these demons they say are you have you come to torture us before our point they knew their fate they knew that they were only given a certain amount of time here on the earth before they were going to be banished to hell forever right and they wanted to do the maximum amount of destruction as they could until that appointed time and they show that because they're like we've been having so much fun with these two guys in this graveyard right like we've had our way with them and people hate them and they're scared of them this is so much fun and when jesus exercises his disruptive authority They're like, well, then at least go destroy the town's economy, right? Let us go kill all these pigs. They had destruction on their heart and on their mind. And Jesus disrupts that. How do we allow Jesus to intervene in our lives? Okay, there's a lot going on here, but here's the big deal. The king's authority, this week and next week, we're going to look at the king's authority. And this week, we're looking at how the king's authority disrupts. A lot of times we want Jesus to be on our side I accept him into my life I have him on my side right and we like the idea of buddy Jesus instead of King Jesus because guess what Kings disrupt we serve the King instead of the King serving us now he serves us he just showed that and next week we're gonna look more at how he serves us but the whole point is that we have to surrender to the authority of the King especially when it disrupts and here's three ways that the king's authority disrupts number one jesus's authority disrupts the natural order i mean look at this we're we're talking storms we're talking uh, fear we're talking sickness illness the control of sin enslavement law uh, even death right like that is the natural order but jesus replaces that he disrupts those and gives us faith freedom, salvation, relationship, healing, life. That's what Jesus disrupts our brokenness with his presence, with his healing. The natural order was to avoid the sick, the lame, the diseased, the possessed, the outcast. But instead, Jesus runs towards them because he loves them. And next week, we're going to look at what he does as he meets them. Number two, Jesus' authority disrupts the things outside of us but also inside of us. A lot of times we either uh, want to have everything externally figured out, but we don't address the inside stuff or we're so obsessed about ourselves that we forget the world around us, right? But Jesus exercises his destructive authority outside and inside of us, whether it be the external storms or the internal storms, he wants to disrupt those storms. He wants to bring his grace, his love, his peace, his freedom to us. Nothing should stand in the way of Jesus being the Lord of our lives. He comes to us and changes us. And last, Jesus' authority disrupts shallow faith. So often it's easy to say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I go to church. I do this. I do that. And life should be good, right? Like I've given him a little bit now. He should give me a lot, right? Instead, we need to run to him. We need to get on our knees and we need to say, Lord. We need to trust him. We need to um, uh, respect him. We need to surrender to him. We need to allow Jesus to exercise His disruptive authority over our, the auto steer in our lives, the autopilot of our of our lives. We need to let Jesus take over and determine who we are, where we're going, what we're doing, and everything. So, to close out, moving from knowing to doing, from belief to action. Number one, there's there's two things I'm going to invite us to do this week. Number one, watch for how we handle disruptions in our lives. Some of us love change. Some of us thrive on change, right? Like we could just always be changing. But others of us like don't change anything, right? Like, we laugh with our oldest when we moved to Utah. We came from a, a, a big yard in the middle of the country. We had tons of grass and tons of fields around us and stuff like that. And then we moved to our yard where we had a side yard, but, like, no backyard, right? And, like, I dug up some of the grass to put in a fire pit, and he was so mad at us. We even laugh to this day. He was so mad. And I said, what? We're going to have a fire pit. But, but we don't have any grass. Leave the grass, Dad, right? Like, he did not want anything to change. Well, then over the last 10 years, he and his buddies have spent countless hours around that fire pit, right? How do we handle the disruptive authority of Jesus in our lives? Our, our time, our money, our resources, our possessions, our plans, our relationships, right? How do we allow Jesus to interrupt, to disrupt our status quo? So just pay attention this week to, to when something bad happens or something changes or whatever, right? Like how do we how do we handle those? Do we resist them? Do we welcome them? Do we run to Jesus? Do we run away from Jesus? Do we surrender? Do we fight? Do we defend? How do we handle that? And then two, focus on surrendering to Jesus. Listen, let the Spirit speak to you. Let God's Word speak to you. I'm telling you, if we are spending time in God's Word, it is unreal how often the Spirit will just like, poof, open our eyes to what's going on in the unseen world whether it be our heart or what's going on around us. But we need to focus on sur- actively surrendering our lives, our thought life. Um, I love the verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. that says, take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ Jesus. The battlefield of the mind is, is pretty bloody sometimes. We don't realize it, but a lot of times we either murder other people or we allow ourselves, we just beat ourselves up instead of taking them captive and making them obedient to Jesus and allowing Him to disrupt whatever it is we have going on and to bring it to His order, to His grace, to be covered by His grace and His love and His transformation. We are called to be new creations. We are new creations when we surrender our lives to Christ. The old is gone and everything has become new. Amen? So let's, let's week, let's pay attention to the disruptions and, and let's invi- invite Jesus to disrupt the status quo of our lives. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for the fact that you are the king and you are a king with a ton of authority. You have all the authority. God, forgive us when we fight that, when we want to hold on to what we've created, what we, what we think is what we need to do or be. God, help us to, to pay attention to that disruptive nature of your spirit, of your word, of your presence in our lives. God, because we know you're not going to hurt us just to hurt us. When we experience that pain, we know that it's, there's a the breaking that goes on because healing is on the way. There's a tearing because there's a mending coming. There's a surrender because there's a receiving God, each one of us here this morning, each one of us that are listening online or watching later on, God, this is true for all of us. You love us. You run towards us. You reach out to us. No matter what we have experienced, no matter what has happened, no matter what other people say, God, you draw us to yourself. You are active in our lives. You wanna pursue that disruptive healing. You don't want us to just go through life, the status quo. You want us to experience the fullness of a relationship with you and all that comes with it, God. And you also want us to share that relationship. God, help us to experience you in such an irrefutable, undeniable way that God, just like anything else that we like in our life, we want everybody else to know about. Help us to be ambassadors of your goodness, of your good rule in our lives, in this world. God, we love you so much. We thank you so much for loving us first. Praise your name.